My name's Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I uh, want to welcome you guys and uh, say we are going to be in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. If you want to open up your Bibles, go ahead and open them up right there. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have the verses on the screen, so you can follow along with me there. But uh, as you guys get settled and get your Bibles open, I want to start to talk to you guys a little bit about relationships. All of us uh, have relationships. Uh, we have relationships in different arenas of our life. Um, we have relationships. Um, uh, if you are a student, uh, you have a relationship with your professors and the educators, and there's a certain amount of expectation there. And if you are an employee, then you have relationship with your coworkers and your employer. And if you are um, maybe a marriage, you have a relationship that is committed and loving and full of life with your spouse. If you are a parent, you've got relationship with your kids. And here's what I know about relationships. Relationships, uh, regardless of the arena of life that you're in, uh, they need to be defined. They need to have expectations. People need to understand how to exist within that context of that specific relationship. And uh, I know this from experience. Um, uh, you have to define the relationship. And one of the areas that I've seen this play out is in my relationship to my now wife, Kristen. Uh, we met uh, while she was a senior in college, and uh, we kind of went into this season where we became friends. And then we were in that awkward season where we weren't boyfriend and girlfriend yet, but we were kind of more than friends. Have any of you guys know that season? It, it was marked in my relationship with my wife by like extended side hugs, where we were like, this is what we do as Christians. We can't do the full frontal, so we got to do the side hug, and we just kind of stand close. You guys don't know the side hug. Anyways, it's a thing. And so it was just an awkward season where she didn't know, are we going to be boyfriend and girlfriend? Like we're flirting a lot. We, it seems like you like me. Where are we going with this thing? And so I knew that I liked her and I think she would be willing to tolerate me. And so we sat down and we had the Christian 101 define the relationship talk. Do y'all know about defining the relationship? Some of y'all don't, but your girl next to you is like, he needs to please preach preacher. Okay. So, well, this is what it is. Defining the relationship is the conversation that's necessary to bring clarity. And so I sat Kristen down and said, hey, um, I want to be your boyfriend. I want you to be my girlfriend. And here's what this means. It means that um, I, I want to pursue you in physical purity. I want to honor you. I want to get to know your friends and your family. I want to understand your story. And um, I, I not only want to do those things, but I want to spend time with you. And when we go and spend time, we're going to go out to eat because I love food. And when we go out to eat and we eat food, one of the things that I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up the bill because I'm old-fashioned and old-school, and that's just what it is. And she said, hallelujah and amen. <laughs> and so we, uh, we had to have that moment to move from kind of this awkward ambiguity into a relationship that uh, was a little more established. And one of the things that happened uh, was I wanted to answer the question in her heart of what would it be like to be in a relationship with Chris? What would it look like for us to move into a dating relationship? And um, in John chapter 10, what Jesus is doing with his friends and with me and you and those he has relationship with, he's sitting us down and he's literally defining the relationship. Jesus is saying, if you are in relationship with me, then I am the good shepherd. And if I am the good shepherd, then this is the way that we're going to interact. This is how I'm going to communicate to you. This is how I'm going to love you. This is how I'm going to protect you. This is how I'm going to provide for you. 
And it's a beautiful text. Now, their text has some difficulties because the illustration he uses is one of uh, uh, the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd. Now, um, I grew up in North Omaha. I am from the city. Don't spend a ton of time in the country other than when I got to spend five privileged years at a community called Wayne State College. Praise the Lord. But what is challenging about these dynamics is Um, Many of us don't understand the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd. So some of this language, some of this imagery, it's just going to feel foreign to us. And um, we're going to have to unpack that together, but we can do that. Um, But what I don't want you guys to miss this morning is the thrust, the heartbeat, uh, the aim of this passage is the God of the universe is speaking to his children and his sheep. And he's saying, this is how I love you. This is how I want to relate to you. And this is why it's so important for us as a church this morning to catch this, because this is not complex. This is not going to be something that you maybe have never heard before. This is Christianity 101. And here's what I know about many of us and why I think it matters today. We we love to say in in evangelicalism that we're not people of religion. We are people who have a relationship. And yet what I've discovered about so many of us is we don't actually understand how that relationship with God works. We don't understand his primary posture towards his people and what he's committed to be about in this relationship. And so this morning, I just want us to show us Christianity 101. What does our relationship with God look like and how does the good shepherd decide and choose to love and lead and relate to me and you? And so I've got three observations. John chapter 10, if you're a note taker, would you open them, uh, uh, pull out your bulletins or programs so you can follow along? The first observation that I have is that the good shepherd knows and guides you. The good shepherd knows and guides you. And what I want to communicate right off the bat is that our relationship with God is not this formal one, but it is this one of high personal relationship. There's this high understanding of who God is and how God gets to know us. And so uh, in in verse 1 and 2 in chapter 10, we're going to read these together. And this is going to give us uh, primarily the setting uh, for this illustration that Jesus is going to use. So here's what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. If you shepherd sheep, you are saying yes and amen. Everyone else is like, I have no idea what that is, that something about a sheepfold. So um, here's where we're at. So what he's doing here is Jesus is taking us to our very first scene. He's going to start to unpack this relationship that we have with him, but he's, he's, he's um, painting the picture of a scene that would have been maybe familiar to people 2,000 years ago, but that is not familiar to us. So the first scene that he takes us to is that of a shepherd who is leading his sheep into a village. Now, in every village and primary city uh, that was not really super rural but was more populated, they would have a, a sheep pen. And so this would be the, the communal sheep pen, basically what would happen is the sheep, the shepherd would lead the sheep out into the pasture during the day so they could feed and eat and and get nourished. And then at night, when they saw night coming, because it was dangerous out in the wild, they would come into the community, come into the village, and they would leave their sheep in what is called a sheep pen. And there would be, uh, all the shepherds would do this. And then what the shepherd would do is pay a a watchman basically to babysit the sheep and make sure that a, a robber or somebody doesn't try to break in and steal the sheep. And all that Jesus is doing here is he's, he's setting this example up and he's saying you can tell a lot by who's a good shepherd and who has good intentions by the way that they approach the flock. He's saying when a robber comes, 
He, he, he's trying to jump over the fence. He's trying to take something from the people of God. But I'm, I'm not that one. I'm the good shepherd. I have integrity in who I am. There is no deception in me. And so he says, I walk through the gate to see my shepherd. In verse 3, it says that uh, to him, the, uh, the gatekeeper opens. And so what I want to begin to unpack, now that we understand the setting, is I want you guys to see now that the shepherd is in proximity to the sheep, how does he relate to them? And as we read these uh, next two verses, three through five, I want us to just understand the personal nature of the good shepherd in our lives. So let's read this, okay? It says this, verse three. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he, was brought, uh, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For... They know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will uh, flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. So what Jesus is now explaining is that when uh, the shepherd would wake up in the morning, he would return to the sheep pen. Uh, The problem with this is not all of the sheep in the sheep pen are his. And there's just no way to distinguish which one is his and which one isn't his. And he might have an idea, but they're all intermixed. And so in this moment, he's got to figure out how do I get a hold of my sheep and start to lead them back into pasture. And here's what the shepherd would do. He would sing to them. He would make a melody to them and he would speak to them and the sheep would then hear his voice and he would begin to turn his attention and start to walk towards the pasture that he leads them in regularly and they would just line up and follow. If you notice the imagery here, this is how God leads us, by the way. If you notice the imagery here, that that when the shepherd starts to walk, the sheep willingly start to follow because they trust him and love him. There's no threatening There's no prodding, there's no pushing, there's no barking, there's no anger. There's just a loving shepherd and the sheep willingly and joyfully start to follow him because he is a good leader and leads them to good pastures. And so um, what I want you to see about this is notice how he identifies the sheep. He says their name. He says their name. He says, Bob and Tony and Rachel and Karen, you're my sheep, would you... You you come with me right now. We're we're going. Can you imagine the personal nature of this? When you were, if you were to hear this, Jesus preaching this, you would have been blown away that the God of the universe knows your name. Christian, do you guys know? Look at me right now. Do you know that God knows your name? That before the foundations of the world, God has known your name. That God is so familiar with you that the Bible says he knitted you together in your mother's womb. And that before the foundations of the world were made, he has already predestined you to call you into a relationship with himself. He's known you. Your name is written on his hand. He is familiar with you. The God of the universe is not some distant cosmic being, but he is a good shepherd that is near and knows you. Let me show you this one last way this plays out. Verse 14, Jesus is going to strive this personal relationship one last time. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And then he gives us this example to explain how intimately we can know God and God can know us. He says, just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. So what he's saying is, guys, I I don't want you to miss this. He's saying, Jesus, there is no more in all of the universe, there is no more of an intimate, familiar relationship than that that exists within the Holy Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they have eternally existed as one. There is no part of each other that they do not know, that they do not understand. There is no secrets, nothing unseen among one another. And God is saying, I know you like that. 
Now, I don't know if you guys are understanding this because we live in a world of social media and uh, Instagram and Facebook posts. We live in a world where we project ourselves and we want people to know us in a certain way. But can we just be real honest? If that's the shallowness of relationships that we have, do we not all walk around with a desire to actually be known? For someone to understand my story and my hurts and my pains and my struggles and my shame, would somebody look in past the surface and understand what God has done in my life? Do we not hunger to be known and to know others? We do. And God is saying, listen, this is Christianity 101 that you get to know God and that God gets to know you. I want to say, Christian, the good news of the gospel isn't that you don't have to go to hell. The good news of the gospel is that you get to know God. Amen? He gets to know your name and be in relationship with him. And you hear his voice. So one of the the takeaways I want to just press in on this first uh, point is that one of the primary ways um, that we are characteristic, uh, characterized as God's people is that we are a people who hears God's voice. And what that means is in our relationship with God, there needs to not be silence. There's actually communication where the God of the universe is speaking into our marriages and speaking into our lives and speaking into the unseen areas and speaking into those closets that we've tried to close off. God wants to speak into all of those things. And we know that God is a speaking God. We as sheep hear his voice. And church, here's, that, that's incredibly good news. And I, I want to say, some of you guys might be in this room and you're saying, Okay, Chris, that's great. I get that. Theologically, God is a God that speaks. He's a God who calls my name. But it's been a long time since I've heard from God. I feel like I'm on a one-sided relationship where I'm speaking to him and he's not speaking to me. Have anybody ever been there? Thank you for raising your hand. You're honest. Everybody else is lying. Anyways, Jesus knows. (laughs) We're going to talk about that later. But, But... I think we have been there. And I want to say, um, let me just get a little pastoral here because I think God can speak to you through friends and God can speak to you through dreams and God can speak to you in numerous ways in your circumstances. But I think as, as the people of God, the primary way that we hear the voice of the good shepherd speaking to our life is his word. It is his word. Listen, you guys might think the Bible is boring. It's not. You might think the Bible is some historical document to study. It's not. The the Bible is the living and active word of God, and it is a voice that wants to speak into your life. And that's why, church, we have labored this summer to say, church, what you need more than me and Gavin up here talking about the words of God, you need to hear from the divine. You need an encounter with your good shepherd. Do not settle for me talking about God's word. You need to hear the very words of God. Amen? And, uh, and so what we've done is at our church, we've created this thing called the Summer of Soap, and Gavin's going to talk about it, but it's just a simple tool uh, to help equip you to both read the scripture, understand what it says, and then apply it to your life. And I think, man, it would be powerful. Church, here's what I want from us. I don't want you guys to settle for being a people who understand that there's a good shepherd that speaks out there. I want us to be a people who are regularly and daily and consistently interacting with the God that wants to speak into our life. I'm telling you guys right now, this Bible has something. Something to say in, in the areas of your life that you're wrestling with right now, and I want you to hear from the good father and the good shepherd. Would he speak to you? So uh, point one is uh, that, the God, that God knows you and uh, is leading you. So I want to uh, press into point two real quick. And I don't know where I'm at in my notes. It's really exciting. I have a lot of notes up here, and they have numbers. Here it is. Point two is this. 
The good shepherd protects and provides for you. Protects and provides for you. Um, When I was reading this, after verses one through six, I was encouraged that God is chosen to relate to me in such a familiar and personal way. That's a gift. Uh, But at the same time, I was challenged by the reality that um, if I'm really honest, I needed God to be more to me than just a God that is my friend. I think we've all got friends that are down to do coffee, but you need help in life and they don't want to take your call. Um, there's reality that we have, we, we have relationship with people, but uh, our relationship with God, we need more than just a relational God. We need a God that will provide and protect us. And so he's going to describe how he starts to do that. Let's read verse uh, 7 through 9. He says this, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. Here's what um, Jesus is doing. Um, he basically changed the setting from a shepherd that was uh, kind of in a city location or a village, and now he's talking about a, a shepherd and how he would interact when he leads his shepherd, or sheep all the way out into pasture. Here's what would happen. A, a shepherd at this time, he would lead them, not, not just around the city location, but he would lead them far out into the wilderness so that there would be new fields that they could feed upon and uh, find substance in. And when they were out in the wild, there was no com- communal sheep pen. And so what Jesus does is he's talking about uh, he is the door, okay? So Jesus is changing the script here. He's no longer the shepherd that walks through the door to get the sheep. Now he's saying, I am the door. And so we have to unpack what does that mean? Well, basically what happens is when they were out into the wilderness, there wasn't a sheep pen. So what the shepherds would do is they would build this circle-like structure out of rocks and out of bushes uh, and out of twigs and whatever they could find. And there was literally no entrance. They would lead the sheep in at night so that they would be protected from uh, animals that would prey upon them. And then they would lead them out in the morning so that uh, they could find fresh food and eat and be provided for. And so what Jesus is saying is, I am the door. And what that means is that he would, the shepherd at this time, he would literally lay down at the entrance of this structure, and he would keep the sheep protected. Any force that wanted to come to harm them, he would defend them, and he would basically say, you're going to have to come through me. And additionally, in the morning, he would lead them into green pastures and provide for them. And so um, what I want to say to this is this is especially important because if you understand sheep, they are literally born dependent on a defender. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen sheep, but they're usually like in the petting part of the zoo, like the kitty part of the zoo. Like nobody puts a sheep behind bars, you know? It's not like, I'm so afraid if that sheep got out, he would run rampant. The kids, what would the kids do? I mean, it's, they're just, that, that's not how we see them, right? They don't have big teeth. They don't have big claws. They can't camouflage themselves. They're not particularly strong and kick. They can't outrun you. So like we put them in the kitty part of the zoo for a reason because they're safe and they're defenseless. Okay? Now, I wish as a pastor I could get up here and say, you guys are awesome and you're the all-star team, but God's chosen to communicate that we are sheep. (laughs) You're like, I'm never coming back to City Light again. The other pastor told me I'm strong and courageous. (laughs) You are, as far as a sheep goes. Anyways, um, (laughs) so, so the sheep, though, This is how God has chosen to communicate us. We come into this world, and it's true. 
Guys, we have real enemies that want to steal, kill, and destroy us. There are real things that want to take from us and want to lead us astray. And what Jesus is saying is that he's the good defender that has laid down to protect us. Jesus is saying, you're my sheep and I love you in such a way that if you want to come do harm to my sheep and my flock and to my children, you've got to come through me because I'm going to lay down at the entrance of this gate and I'm going to block those that would wish evil upon my sheep and I'm going to be their defender and I am going to be their protector and I am going to be their provider. Is that not good news? And Jesus doesn't just keep bad things away from us, church. He leads us into some things. So let me show you verse 10. It says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. <laughs> I love this part of this text. There, there's this thing circulating in our society right now that wants to reduce Jesus um, to some historic figure. They want to say that, okay, Jesus came from heaven to earth, and his main objective was to teach you some principles so you can have your best life now. That Jesus came from heaven to earth because he wants to be a moral example for your small children so they can grow up and have a great life. They want to reduce Jesus' purpose to something smaller than it is. But Jesus says that I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I don't know. I'm reading this passage and I just want to let you guys know my first response was yes and amen and give me more. Because wherever I can get abundant life, I want some abundant life. Amen. Amen. You can have stress, anxiety, and addiction to sin, or you can have abundant life. I'm taking abundant life, all right? Y'all are looking at me like you don't need abundant life, but you do. You do, okay? Listen, um, I love this idea. When you read this, the idea of abundant life pops off the page. The problem is, is I didn't know what abundant life was. I'm like, okay, it sounds incredible, but how do I get some, and what is it? And As I read about this, one of the things I discovered that abundant life is not the abundance of things. It's not the abundance of comforts. It's not the abundance of pleasures. It's not the abundance of relationships. The abundant life is a life lived in relationship with the good shepherd. It's life lived under his loving care. When you understand who Jesus is, when you understand that he knows you in a personal way, when you understand that Jesus is your defender, when you understand that Jesus is your provider and your guide and he will lead you to pastures, green pastures into streams of living water. When you understand who Jesus is, you understand that the greatest gift that Jesus can give you is himself. And how many of us, I want to just describe to you right now that the abundant life is in my life, because I think you guys have tasted the abundant life with Jesus, and you might not have fully realized that this is the abundant life that Jesus has promised. The abundant life is this. When you have sat in your guilt and your shame, and then you fully realize that Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life so that you could be forgiven, and you feel the weight come off your chest, that's the abundant life. When the Holy Spirit empowers you to be a part of his redemptive work so that you can exalt the name of King Jesus, and like Willie said, not your name and fame, but you get freed up from that, and now you don't You're not a self-promoter, but you are a a promoter of the king that is worthy. And he's given you the spirit of the living God to do that. That is the abundant life. When you are filled in a world with chaos and you have a peace that you cannot describe, a peace that doesn't make sense based on the chaos of your circumstances, and you have a peace based not on your plan to get things all figured out, but you have peace based on the fact that the good shepherd is near to you, that's a picture of the abundant life. When you understand that you are an unlovable sheep that is prone to wonder, and yet Jesus Christ has come to seek and save you, and he loves you deeply, that's a picture of the abundant life. Do I need to keep going? I got one more. All right, I got another one. 
Here's how my abundant life worked. I had no greater purpose than myself for the first 18 years of my life. Make the team, prove that you're somebody, date the cute girl, that's it. Jesus came and gave me a purpose greater than myself. To be a part of his eternal work, your good, God's glory. Every day I get to wake up not saying, how can I make a name for me? Is that not the abundant life? When you feel like an orphan and you're forgotten and you're a fatherless kid, dad left, and God says, I'm going to be a father to the fatherless. And he reminds you that you aren't an orphan, but you are a sheep in his flock, and he loves you deeply. That's a taste of the abundant life. Amen? Listen, you guys can go a lot of different wells and try to find abundant life, but the questions that your heart is truly searching for will not be found in those things. They are only found, they are only um, satisfied in the abundant life that Jesus Christ offers. He has come to lead us into abundant life. Church, let me pre- uh, press in, though, because it's fun to talk about the abundant life. Uh, but I want to challenge you guys and just and confess to you guys that I've really wrestled with this this week. Like, I've wrestled, like, do I believe that the greatest thing that God can give me is himself? Has anybody else wrestled with that question? Keep it real. Thank you. A couple of y'all. Um, so this week, I was just trying to take inventory of my life and say, what is it that I really want? And um, I kind of came to the conclusion that um, sometimes I don't want a life with God. Um, what I, I really want is a life where I'm not dependent on God. And what I mean by that is, at my home, I've got three children, and they're five, two, and a newborn child that's four months And if you've had small children in your home, I think you understand what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that there's more people that live in my home that don't know how to use the restroom than there are people that do know how to use the restroom, okay? So there's accidents, there's dirty diapers, there is um, a whole bucket of different butt creams for different rashes. I'm just keeping it real. I'm just keeping it real, okay? Um, And some of you guys are like, I just wanted to get married and have kids so bad. You can wait. It's going to be all right. Just... It's, it's, it's great when you get there, but just enjoy the process, okay? And so, um, so what I'm saying is sometimes the abundant life for me, the abundant life for me looks like a nap. All the parents say yes and amen, okay? The abundant life for me looks like a home where we don't need butt creams no more. Like, I don't know when that happens, but that would be tremendous, the abundant life. And here's what happened to our church, right? Can we just keep it real about our church? I love this church. It's a joy, Thank you for letting me be one of the pastors here. It's incredible what God has done for us to see 500 of the people in this room say yes to King Jesus, get baptized, publicly put on display before their friends and family that they are going to follow and trust Jesus Christ. Incredible. To be able to plant new churches all across the city. I'm from this city, grew up in this city, never heard the gospel for years. And to be able to plant new gospel-centered churches around this community so the more People can hear about King Jesus and be led into the abundant life. Amazing. Outgrowing every single building that we purchase and renovate and remodel within a few months, not so awesome. (laughs) I was thinking about this, Gavin. I think this is like our fourth building project in four years. We just want to tell people about Jesus. Now all of a sudden we're being with architects, raising money. The abundant life to me sounds like never having to give another giving announcement ever in the history of the world. No orange envelopes, no giving campaigns, no fundraisers, no weird videos. None of that. I don't want to be a part of it. Part of me thinks the abundant life would just be kind of coasting for a season. Can we just keep it real? Okay. And the lie that I identified in my heart, and I want to know if you've heard this lie. The lie that I've identified in my heart is that the abundant life is the absence of trials, challenges, conflict, 
and chaos. If all of those things just went away, then I'd have the abundant life. But you know what? The abundant life is not the absence of something. It's the presence of something. The, the abundant life that Jesus has come to give you isn't the absence of trials, but it's the presence of the living God and the good shepherd that will lead you. Would you take inventory of where the sheep are at in this story? They're not hanging out in some luxe sheep pen. They're out in the desert, in the wilderness. They are vulnerable. It is a dry and hot land. They're not comfortable. And yet they need nothing. They've got all the life they need because the good shepherd is near to them, leading them, providing for them, protecting them. Amen? That's a picture of the Christian life. Church, I want us to be a people that don't just understand the abundant life, but are, the, are drinking deeply of the abundant life. And I just want to press this in because you're going to make a choice this very week where you're going to find life. And you can pick Netflix and you can pick your boyfriend and girlfriend and you can pick some app on your phone. You can pick a lot of things to try to find life. And I'm telling you, it's not going to deliver the abundant life that you need. It's only going to be found in the good shepherd. Would you pick up this book and let the voice of the shepherd speak into your life? Last thing I want to show you guys. Third observation is this. The good shepherd gives his life for you. When I was reading this text, one of the the challenges that I had is that to be known by God in a personal way outside of the grace of God is an absolute frightening thing. Um, What I mean by that is I am a sinful sheep. I am lustful, prideful, arrogant. I've got all kinds of issues that I need King Jesus to work on. And so when a holy God would know me and look in at me and he would be near to me apart from the grace of God, that is not a great situation. And so Jesus is going to show how this dynamic between a good shepherd and some rebellious sheep actually works out. He's going to have to do some things to make that relationship go. And so let me show you how this gets played out in our text. Let's read verses 11 through 13. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand is, uh, and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf uh, snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, just the beginning, he says, I am the good shepherd once again. What Jesus is doing when he keeps continually, repeatedly saying, I am the good shepherd is he's claiming that he is the promised Messiah here. This is not just saying I'm better than some pastor down the street. I've got the the best sermons. What he's saying is that in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 34, uh, there were some spiritual leaders. God's people were um, being taken advantage of by these leaders. The spiritual leaders were not loving and serving and leading the flock from a heart of love and compassion and commitment. They were using the flock of God to pursue comforts, to pursue reputation, to pursue position. And God makes a promise in Ezekiel 34. He says, I will one day be your good shepherd and I will come and lead my people on my own. And Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of that promise. Additionally, what Jesus is doing here in this text is he's contrasting his desire to love and lead you with those of the the religious leaders, which were the Jewish leaders in this context. Remember the Jewish leaders in this context, the Pharisees and Sadducees, um, they they oppressed the poor. They did not glorify Jesus. They called him a demon-possessed man. They were trying to hold on to power and reputation and status, and they were using the very flock of God, again, for their own good. But Jesus says, I'm not the good shepherd. I'm not a shepherd that has come to take from you. I am the good shepherd that has come to give to you. I'm the good shepherd that has come to what? Lay down my life for you. And what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing us to the day when the good shepherd, the innocent one, will come and he will die on the cross for the guilty. Do you guys want to understand the gospel here? This beautiful picture that Jesus is both the good shepherd and then he becomes the sacrificial lamb. 
that his blood would be slain so that we could be forgiven. Is that not incredible? That Jesus becomes the door so that we can pass from heaven to, or from earth to heaven through him. And so what Jesus is saying here is, I'm going to lay down my life. Now, what we know about Jesus is laying down his life is that he didn't do it out of um, weird ambition or obligation, but he did it out of a heart to love the sheep. He loves us. He loves his church. He loves his children. And it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whomever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What was it that motivated God the Father to send his son into this dead and dying world? It was his heart of love. And Jesus laid down his life because he loves you. And the reason I'm getting excited is because it is painful to know that so many of you guys have understood this theology, and yet in your heart you haven't been saturated by the love of God. You still, how many of us in this, in this place, oftentimes believe that God is some distant judge who is angry at our inability to get better? that maybe he will love a future version of ourselves when we break free from an addiction, when we clean up our lives, when we get our acts together, when we become better parents, when we become better spouses, then maybe God will look at us with an affection in his eyes. And Jesus is saying, listen, my love for you is not dependent on your performance. My love for you is just dependent on the fact that I'm the good shepherd. And so I want you to sit in this and I want you to know this because I'm telling you, the key to you becoming a more loving, generous, kind person is understanding how the good shepherd has loved you. You've got to receive this before you can respond to others in that way. Lastly, um, I want to show you guys verse 16 because what happens when you understand the love of the Father, you don't just get a relationship with him, but you get a relationship with the flock. Additionally, Jesus has us in mind, even in this point of his ministry. Let me show you verse 16. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and uh, they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Church, I love this. So Jesus is talking to the, the Jews in this time. He's in Jerusalem, which is kind of the Jewish headquarters. And what Jesus is saying to the Jewish people is, yes, you've been my chosen people. And yes, I've decided to love you and bless you. And even though you were the smallest one, I've decided to make you great. And all of that is true. And yet... My mission is not just for one kind of person. My mission is gonna be for every tribe, tongue, and nation. I've always been about the nations. I've always been about diverse people. And I am now calling people that are not yet part of the flock. I'm going to call them and I'm going to bring them in. And even here, do you know that God had us in mind? He's marching towards the cross and Jesus is saying, I've got more that need to be added to my flock. I'm going to lay down my life because there's more that need to come in to the family of God. And I love that the end goal is not just a group of saved people that hang out. Listen, he says there's going to be one flock and one good shepherd. Church, what I love about the way that God does business is he invites an incredibly diverse people into a unified flock. Do you guys understand? This is the picture of the church. Like you guys got different stories. We got black and white Hispanic and Asian. We got rich and poor. We got white collar and blue collar. We got people from different stories and different backgrounds and different struggles. And the thing that unifies us is that we are a group of sheep saying, I need a good shepherd. I need King Jesus to lead me into the abundant life. So we are not a uniform, unified, uniform people, but we are a unified people in the person and work of Jesus Christ. What good news, church. Let me just remind you right now 
that Jesus Christ is the door that we entered in. And this passage says that for all who enter in him, they will be saved. Christian, what a beautiful promise. If you are a Christian in this room, I just want you to, um, I guess, revel in the fact that Jesus has come not to take from you, but he's come to lay down his life for you. Isn't this why we love him? Because he first loved us. Isn't this why we serve him? Because he served us and laid his life down for us. What a beautiful picture. Let me close with this. Christians in the room, I want to speak to you guys. Um, For some of you guys in this room, you guys know this, but again, like I said, you have maybe tried to pursue life in other ways, and you are like a sheep that has went astray. And I love that the scriptures champion the fact that when the sheep comes home, everybody celebrates, and that God chases after the one lost sheep. And right now, I believe this is our opportunity. People of God, if maybe you're you're trying to fly in life in other places. You've rejected God. You're running away from his people. You've rejected his word, and you're just trying to do life on your own. And I think God could be wooing you back into relationship with the good shepherd. Additionally, for the Christians in this room, I just, I just want to confess that some of you guys might be here, and you have been longing to be led and be in relationship with this kind of God, and there's been a number of religious leaders that have let you down. And if that's happened, it's not okay. Um, But what I want to say to you is there is one good shepherd that will not. There's one good shepherd that remains pure, and there's one good shepherd, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he wants to heal, and he wants to lead, and he wants to love you. Last thing, if you're not yet a Christian in this place, I want to just call you into this. I would be a fool to not invite you to know this God that offers you abandoned life. Like, who doesn't want the God of the universe to be speaking into their life? Who doesn't want to know that they are eternally secure and saved by walking through the door that is Jesus Christ. And so um, I just want to encourage you, if you are not yet a Christian, maybe today would be the day that you would say yes to the Good Shepherd's invitation to do life with him. Let's pray. So Jesus, I want to pray for the people of God. I want to pray, Jesus, that um, you would help us to remember where we find abundant life. King Jesus, you came to be our Good Shepherd. You came that you would lay down your life for your church and your flock. And we thank you, God, that you have given the ultimate gift so that we could be saved. God, no more fear, no mere insecurity. We know that you are the God that is defending us. We know that you are the God that is speaking to us. We know that you are the God that loves us. And so, God, I pray that we wouldn't just know those things, but those realities would saturate our heart and make us children that are grateful for the way that you love us and lead us. Additionally, for those who are not yet uh, Christians in this room, um, maybe they've never bowed a knee and said yes to you, and today is a day that you're calling them, you're wooing them, you're prompting them um, to come into the fold of God, and you're realizing that the Good Shepherd, some of the people in this room are realizing that the Good Shepherd isn't for someone else, it's for them. And so, God, even now, uh, through your Spirit, would you woo them to yourself? And uh, if this is you, uh, would you pray with me now? Jesus, um, I have run away, and I've rejected you, the Good Shepherd. I'm sinful and guilty. And yet, Jesus, today I place my faith in the Good Shepherd, you, Jesus Christ, the one who laid down your life for me and my sin. And so, God, would you call me into your fold and your family, and would you help me to know you as Savior? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks so much, church.